0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, we do a political roundup for the last week with Richard Brennan, former journalist with the Toronto Star. Is it time to abolish the Catholic school system here in Ontario? And Trudeau and Ford offer to light us even more billions of dollars to save the deal. Is that the best financial decision to make? Though it's all coming up in the Bill Kelly podcast, and it starts now today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. In Ottawa, you know what they're talking about, and we'll be talking about for the next little while. Foreign interference continues to dominate Parliament Hill, as the House of Commons has asked David Johnson now to step down from his role as an the investigator, of course, with these allegations that China has meddled in the last couple of votes. Stephanie Taylor has the latest force.
1: The Conservatives, NDP, and Bloc Québécois all voted in favor of asking Johnston step aside from the job he was given by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Opposition parties want Trudeau to call a public inquiry and allege Johnson is in a conflict of interest because of his ties to the Trudeau family and involvement with the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation. Johnson released a statement following the vote, saying that while he respects the right of Parliament to express his opinion, his mandate comes from the government and not the House of Commons. The former Governor-General says he has more work left to do in his mandate, which extends until the fall. Stephanie Taylor, the Canadian Press, Ottawa.
0: So where do we go from here? Where does David Johnston go from here? Uh, well, to uh, talk about that and lots more, so pleased to welcome back to the program for our weekly uh, political update, uh, Richard Brennan, former journalist with the Toronto Star, who covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill for uh, the Star uh, Badger, this is a, 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 a soap opera that just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse, and uh, twists and turns on this. Uh, the whole thing, the Johnston aspect is one of these things. But as a, as a number of our colleagues have talked about in the last little while, are, are, are the MPs are, the, are the, taking their eye off the ball? Is this really about David Johnston, or is this more about what – was going on with CSIS and what happens with the intelligence that that CSIS hands over to the government. That that seems to be the the more pressing problem, but nobody, at least nobody in Parliament Hill seems to be want to pay attention to that.
1: Bill, uh, with all the things that are going on in the country right now, this is political theater in overdrive. First of all, we have a motion that's uh, an opposition motion asking Mr. Johnston to step down. Well, I don't know what part of non-binding motion they don't understand. It's just that. It's a, it's a political statement by the opposition. They come and they go and they say, well, in this case we wanted to step down because of all the various reasons that were mentioned before. But just picture this Bill. If this was a conservative party in power and and uh, let, let's say it was uh, you know whoever was leading at that point well, let's say it was Harper and Harper had picked Mr. Johnson to do this and investigate this. Do you think they would ever abide by some kind of opposition motion asking Mr. Johnson to step down? Not on your life. So it's just a lot of buzz about nothing as far as I'm concerned. Certainly, uh, foreign interference is a real issue. There's no question about that. And I think people should just trust Mr. Johnson, David Johnson, former governor general, to look into that and come to some kind of conclusion. But this idea of a public inquiry in, into it, I don't know what, what that would really tell us because so much it, of it would be behind closed doors and so much of it is security matters that we were, really wouldn't get to the bottom of it anyway. And I, I think this is a this is the uh, conduit that, we need and I think he's the guy to do it. I, I, just, I don't share the thoughts that this you know he he should be thrown out because he some friendship he had with the family or whatever it might have been.
0: Well what about the com- the comments and, and the testimony earlier this week from uh, Jody Thomas who is uh, now uh, uh, Trudeau's National Security and Intelligence advisor. She just came on the job a couple of years ago. But essentially, what she was saying, she says, I didn't know anything about this until just a few weeks ago, and uh, and she says the prime minister didn't know anything about it until he read it in the Globe and Mail. Uh, I, I should should we be hiring Bob Fife to be doing our national security then? Because they seem to be able to dig up a lot more information than than, than the government uh, agents seem to be able to do in a situation like this.
1: Well, who do we point? You know, this is this is the problem with with when you get to your you know delve into bureaucracy. Now, do we blame the prime minister for not knowing? What's going on, or do we blame Caesar for not telling him what's going on, or did they tell him in, in, a, in a you know a report, and he didn't read it? I mean, we. It, I would just like to get to the bottom of this and find out who's telling the truth and who isn't, and maybe not people are people are lying. I'm not suggesting that, but it seems to me that some the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing here. And and that's the issue.
0: Well, what bothers me about this, and and first of all, I think you're right. I mean, we've got a a couple of different issues here. Uh, Is there foreign interference? Yeah, there is. Okay, we sort of knew there was all along, and now we've got proof positive of it. Uh, So that's not really a revelation. Uh, Did it have an impact on the election? Probably not. But you know, they're still trying. But the way this information was handled, and you just asked, I think, two of the very germane questions here, Uh, Csis. The, the document that the Globe started to print and and, and Global News started to print with Sam Cooper's work from Global uh, was from CSIS. It was a leaked CSIS document that talked all about this. So don't tell me that CSIS didn't know. CSIS says they delivered a report, but they don't report to Parliament. I mean, you know all about this process from all your years covering. Uh, they report to the Prime Minister's office and to the Privy Council. So, you know, where did that information stop? Who made the decision to say that, okay, the Prime Minister doesn't need to see this, or did nobody even
1: just read it and just threw it in a blue box somewhere? I'm afraid, Bill, it might be the latter, that that report was floating around and nobody paid anybody attention to it. That that could well be the issue. I mean, you, you, you can't remember all the stuff that co- would go, come over a, a, the Prime Minister's desk, and I'm not making excuses for it. <clears throat> if he didn't read this, he doesn't really understand how important uh, national security is but the point is it, it it fell through the cracks somewhere and i think canadians need to know what the hell is going on here like where 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 did this start where did it go why didn't the prime minister not know about it and why was why was uh, the house of commons not informed in the, of the issues and, you know, not going, delving into uh, minute detail, but told, we have a problem here. We, you know, there's governments, foreign governments influencing, trying to influence our elections. That should be known by just not the House of Commons, that should be news, and that should have been told to every Canadian that this was an issue. But no, it wasn't. And so somebody's not being completely honest. I I, got to tell you,
0: Here's here's the thing, and, and I know the answer that we get from the politicians, and frankly, from Mr. Johnston as well, as well, there's a national security stuff, and a lot of this stuff is just never going to see the light of day. And I get that. All right, we, we understand that. But that's information gathering. What what they seem to want to ignore here is once that information was was gathered and ascertained by CSIS, I, I, we assume— what happened to the information chain? Where's the pipeline, and and why didn't the prime minister get to see this? Uh, that's not national security. That's systems. That's that says how does our government react and how does our government function, and not very well apparently according to this because not all the information that should get through does get through, and I, we need to know exactly where those shortcomings are, and that's that's not something that's that's going to put our national security at risk, but the fact that we're not addressing it right now, I think, is actually. Going to you know determine whether or not we're going to have an efficiently run government or not.
1: In, in related matter, uh, Bill, the fact the fact is that when when David Johnson was the Governor General, he was lauded for being you know a great Canadian, uh, you know, uh, uh, done many great things for the country. You know, he, he he worked in you know public service, and he how terrific a guy he was and all that. And all of a sudden, he's a bum. Like, what is it? You just can't dismiss somebody's, what their contributions have been just because you don't like the report he came out with. That, that, I, that really troubles me because it just doesn't make any sense. It's unfair to him, and it's unfair to the, to the whole process. I mean, give the guy a chance to, uh, to delve into this if you want to you know after if after he finally in the fall comes up with whatever report he has and they don't the house of commons doesn't like it then okay go for a public inquiry But I, at this point i think that you know you, you understand bill as well as i everybody all the listeners out there public inquiries as hamilton has found out in space is a very expensive venture and it's very, it's, it's time consuming, and often, and often it's not worth, you know, the time and effort and money. So let's let's just see what he's got to say. That's I'm not saying he's going to, you know, he'll, maybe he won't do the job. That's fine. But let, let's give him a crack at it to try and find out what the heck happened here. Because right now we're not getting answers from either the opposition or the government.
0: Well, except that, you know, Mr. Johnston's report did seem to indicate, although I don't think he was overt in, in, in accusations here, but I mean, he seemed to indicate that the failing here was with CSIS, not with uh, the prime minister's office or the privy councillors. Uh, and, and Bill Blair, uh, the the minister, and a couple of other ministers actually seemed to hint at the same thing. Well, if that's the case, that's 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 something that needs to be addressed and talked about. But uh, CSIS, uh is denying that. So, I mean, you know, somebody's... Up to no good here. Some the ball, Somebody dropped the ball here, and, and they want to finger point at each other, but is that really going to solve anything? I don't know if a big inquiry is going to do that either, because you're right. I mean, all we're going to get out of that is pages and pages of redacted testimony, and, and is that really going to do us any good or get us any further down the road? But instead, uh, which is what they do in Ottawa, it's a political football now. This is not about national security anymore. This is about everybody up in Ottawa trying to score political points against the other side.
1: That's all it is, Bill. That's all it is. It's trying to, it's political points, you know, they see an election coming in what, 2025? And, you know, and they're, you know, trying to put their best foot forward. But it's its all, it, it all comes at a time when, look what's going on in the country. We got fires at both ends of the country. And you know, and people are losing their homes, they're being, you know, raised, to the ground and and there's all kinds of major issues that we should be dealing with and and to think this is dominating what's going on in Ottawa it, about stuff that most people don't understand what political interference you know what interfer- interference is what well, how did they do it what did what was the effect of it you know was there any any elections uh, overturned or, or turned upside down because of the interference, we just don't know. I, I think there's a, a whole bunch of issues right now that should be the center of attention in Ottawa, but not necessarily this.
0: You touched on something a couple of minutes ago. I know we're just about out of time, but just on, on, to try to clarify one point, if, if we can clarify any of these points that, that have come up in the last little while. Uh, after all is said and done, and Mr. Johnson's initiated this initial report, it's only a recommendation. It's non-binding. Uh, the prime minister says, "Yeah, we'll we'll abide by that," but he didn't have to. And what's to stop Parliament from doing their own investigation? They do have two committees that can look into this sort of thing. Instead of beating the drum here, why don't they just get to work?
1: It's called summertime, Bill.
0: Ah, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're looking at the calendar right now, and they go, like, "Okay, let's rag the puck for another couple of weeks, and then we can go home." Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Do they want to be stuck in stuck in Ottawa in a in a, in a Sweltering cabinet meeting or a committee meeting, I should say, and uh, trying to delve into this. Let's let's just let it proceed for a while and uh, you know find out find out where it's going. I, I, again, I'm not a, a big guy on public, uh, you know, is you know throw, throwing this you know into the kind of the the open field, if you will, and letting and letting every detail and you know, minute detail come forward and, and see if we can finally get to the bottom of it. Why don't we just, why don't people just, you know, in Ottawa, why don't they just fess up and tell us what exactly is going on instead of putting a political spin on everything, giving us half truth and obfuscating it all the time. Just tell Canadians what the hell's going on.
0: Not a bad idea uh badger as always uh, great to get your insight into this thanks so much have a great weekend we'll talk to you again soon
1: you too bill talk to you later
0: take care richard brennan a former journalist he covered queen's park and of course parliament hill for so many years too you're listening to the bill kelly show podcast on 900 chml i'm sure you've seen this on the television news over the last couple of days a story that we covered earlier this week uh, York catholic district school board has refused to fly the pride flag at their uh, central offices and uh Well, it's caused all sorts of controversy, a huge, very heated meeting uh, when they finally came to that vote. Uh, There's been a lot of pressure. We talked about this on the show yesterday. Uh, You know, Stephen Lecce, the education minister, uh, has strongly suggested and said he's really disappointed that they didn't do this. And I said, well, then mandate it. You're you're the big guy here. You're the big cheese patty for the education system here. Mandate that all schools should find the flag flag. Well, they're not going to do that. As a matter of fact, even the premier seemed to wimp out on this. But it's raised a debate. About a larger scale issue here and about the Catholic school system and the public school system. And the question a lot of people are asking is why are we still paying for a Catholic school system here in this province? Uh, which coincidentally, by the way, was uh, the title of an essay that was uh, written by our next guest uh, about three years ago. As a matter of fact, it uh, appeared in The Walrus. He is uh, Reverend Michael Korn, who is an author, of course, and, and an Anglican cleric, uh, who's uh, studied this, uh, uh, this whole topic very, very extensively. And he joins us here on, on The Bill Keller Show to talk about this. Michael, great to talk with you again. Thank you so much for the time today.
2: It's a pleasure. By the way, your intro music was the Clash, and I saw them live in London in 1981. Is
0: that right? <laughs> ah, the memories. <laughs> uh, let's 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 talk it because this is a clash, obviously. As, as sure as you know, you know, June comes after May. There's always going to be a debate about should we fly the flag. And invariably, it's a Catholic school board that's just. Well, there's a couple of towns that have done this too. But I want to talk specifically about the schools and their system like this. Uh, the yeah. essay that you wrote from a few years ago, I think, really uh, was very poignant and brought this issue to light. Is that is that because as soon as you bring this up, people are going to say, well, you're just against Catholics. This is the problem. You're just picking on us. Uh, There's there's a a, a rationale behind this and a history to why we're doing this. And and we're actually, I guess, one of the few jurisdictions left in this country that still do this, aren't we?
2: Well, I mean, there's a real context here. Canada is more than 40% Catholic. Ontario is more than 30% Catholic. And the origins of the system are entirely noble, well, largely noble, uh, because Catholics were a minority often faced persecution. And Catholic Canadians couldn't educate the children as they wanted to uh, without sacrificing a huge amount of money. So it was brought in as a form of equality. But a lot of things have changed, and, and this country has certainly changed, and as has the Catholic Church. So... Um, I think if you ask most Canadian Catholics where they stood on the marriage issue, uh, the vast majority would um, say, like non-Catholic Canadians, we we support marriage equality, and we support the gay community. The Catholic Church's teaching may not be as progressive as that, uh, although I think if you scratch the surface, uh, you'd find uh, quite a few people, even in the hierarchy, had different issues. When it comes to Catholic teachers, Now, again, I'm making a leap here, but I suspect if you ask most teachers, most members of OECTA, they would have a very progressive view uh, on the issue. So it's not black and white. But when it comes to funding, then, I mean, clearly we have to ask some questions. Uh, The Constitution, the law of the land, protects gay people. Um, It gives them equality rights. And the pride flag really is a public affirmation of that equality. If you don't fly that flag, um, well, you have that right. But also, do you have the right to claim public funding? And that's, it's a question that's been asked for many years now. But every time something like this happens, and it doesn't happen very often, because most school boards will fly the flag, obviously people will ask questions. And they're asking those questions now. And I think it was a profoundly foolish thing for the school board to do this. Even if they don't believe in, in in the equality that the flag epitomizes, well, just fly and ignore it if that's what you want to do. But they've now made this not just a national, but an international issue.
0: And, and Michael, you know the, the, the official release from this board is the same one we saw from Norwich County earlier this week, uh, and other yeah. places. Uh, you know we believe that everybody has the right to, to, you know, not be bullied. Blah blah blah. Officers, I mean, th- it's it's long on platitudes and, and short on action, and I think that's the thing that's frustrating most people in in this situation. Uh, you know, to, to bring it down to the vernacular, uh, stop talking the talk and walk the walk. If you really believe that, that human rights are an issue here, then show your support for it. And they don't seem to want to do that, which begs another question. Then who are they pandering to?
2: Well, I think in the, in the York case, I think and it really did surprise me, actually, because a number when in Toronto, there was a big debate about a similar issue. And quite clearly, there was there was really just one person, two at most, who had any sort of uh, problem with complete support for the, for the, the gay community. Look, it, it's it's not really about adults, it's not about teachers, it's about kids, particular kid, particularly kids who are unsure about their sexuality. Kids maybe who, who are gay, but haven't come out, and they feel completely accepted and embraced and loved. And it's just the flying of a flag. I mean, it, it, we're not asking for Catholic teaching, and the official teaching is quite draconian. No one's asking for that to be changed. Uh, but the flag is a symbol to these kids in particular that they have a place there. And it, it means a lot to many of them. And, and look, this is an ongoing debate within Christianity. And I, I wrote a piece for TVO a couple of days ago. We can argue about this in, in, in terms of scripture. You can come to both conclusions. I'm convinced that scripture does teach equality, but I can see the other point of view. And when it comes to the Catholic church, We have to be honest about it, too. Um, Surveys by Catholic clergy, there's a major book about this issue. He says that maybe around 58% of of clergy are gay, and it could be higher among younger clergy. So once again, are people being honest? Are they being consistent? Are they being candid? The Pope has said some things which are very encouraging. We don't hear those lower down the, the, the chain, as it were. But at some point, this issue has to be addressed properly and without propaganda. And if you looked at my Twitter page after the TVO article, you'd be stunned at the degree of hatred and anger and homophobia. So to, the idea that it's all over, that's all of the past, that just isn't true.
0: And uh, your point about the children, let's—it's the students, let's talk about that for just a little while, because... Uh, that's been discussed, and I think maybe not focused on as, as much as it should be. Uh, if if there are gay children in this school, and we know that there are, we just you know the, we mm. don't know what the numbers are, uh, and and this board makes this decision, and says we're not going to do this. Uh, you yeah, we believe in equality, but if that if that student has questions about, about where they want to go and who they should be talking to, are they really going to go to the guidance counsellor in that school? Do they really think that that's somebody who's, who's going to have some empathy for my situation? Or are they just going to seem more confused and, and,
2: and maybe even more disoriented and, and more alone? Well, it's a very good question. There's a good chance that the guidance counsellor will be very understanding and, and, and progressive, actually. And I've, I've seen some of the comments from OECTA members and leaders, which are very encouraging, So we don't want to be uh, make a a blanket comment here. Um, I I bet you there are Catholic teachers in the York Board even listening right now who are are ashamed of what has happened. But will that child feel encouraged to do so? How would yeah? That's the point, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, look, kids can be cruel, and other kids who maybe uh, will use anything to to be nasty to another pupil. Will they use the the flag issue? None of it is good. Uh, there's nothing positive that comes out of this. And I, I don't think more conservative Catholics will suddenly feel that they are being e- empowered and supported. I don't think it matters that much to them. A handful it does. And I think a handful of people have really influenced this. But it does a great deal of damage, not just to gay kids and their friends and their families in the school system, um, but also to people who attend the school and their families who are cringing, frankly they're not saying isn't this great it's a victory for for catholic doctrine they're saying we look bad and i don't think this represents a school board which generally i've always uh, heard is is very loving and professional and kind so it, it's it's a bit of a distortion and, and a very unfortunate one
0: is the political scene south of the border with the the santuses and, and and the like uh, and some of the legislation that's being passed by some of those state legislatures right now is that having an impact
2: yeah it's very perceptive it really is uh What's been happening for some years with Trump, and what's come after it, uh, is influencing many things up here. I, I think the degree of racism, uh, anti-Semitism, homophobia, Islamophobia—it was always there, but it's—it now feels it's able to speak out, and things that uh, they were. All, we've got to be intelligent about this. It doesn't mean uh, that, the world has been changed but the way, the way the world or that part of the world has presented itself has been changed and I mean, that's a good thing in a way we know who these people are and we can argue with them and 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 try and deal with that situation but yeah I have seen a degree of um of ultra right-wing prejudice that I've never seen before and if you speak to members of various minority communities they will say the same thing they've never seen it this bad and I do blame uh, Trump and his people for for that it it bleeds over into Canada. It may well be that in times past this vote would not have been six to four, but I mean we don't really know.
0: No, but it's a, a tragic situation. Uh, as always, Michael, great to get your perspective. Uh, thank you so much for this. Have a good weekend. Uh, hopefully we can talk again soon. My pleasure, anytime. Thank you. Take care, Michael Corrin. Reverend Michael Corrin, of course, Anglican cleric and uh, author and broadcaster for many many years too. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I'm very confident with the, the partnership, with the, the federal government, and us stepping up. Uh, we're we're going to get this deal done, and uh, I'm I'm just very very confident we're we're just uh, inches away from uh, making this happen. Uh, well, an optimistic Doug Ford uh, the other day just uh, talking about the renewed negotiations now between the provincial government, the feds, and Stellantis. Uh, don't forget you know, the story, of course, the history. They decided to pull out and give us more money. You know, like what you did for Volkswagen. You know, we went a little bit of that cold hard cash too. This is the Bill Kelly Show on uh, CFPL London and CHML Hamilton. So where are we with this right now? And and is it worth all the money that both the provincial and federal governments are going to be tossing at this company? Uh, Are we going to get a return on this? Is it actually going to be the boost that uh, the premier seems to think it is for the Ontario economy? Let's uh, ask our next guest, Marvin Ryder, who is a professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University, who's been following this story. Marvin, thank you for the time. Great to have you back on the show today. Glad to be with you, Bill. Uh, we had a deal a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they decided to go back to the negotiating table. Well, Stellantis did anyway. I guess the the overall question here is: It worth it?
3: Right. So, if you don't mind, Bill, can we just go back and talk about the deal the way it was, and then what sure. they're trying to do yeah. with, with Stellantis? With Stellantis, this deal was first announced a little over a year ago, and they said we're going to build a battery factory in Windsor with our partners LG. That's a name people might know on some household appliances. So it's a $5 billion project. Federal government said, okay, we'll put a half a billion dollars in. The province said, we'll put a half a billion dollars in. Everyone shook hands and construction began. And then they signed a deal with Volkswagen, a different deal because the U.S. government had passed something called the Inflation Reduction Act. And in that act, they offered subsidies to the operating performance. Similar deal on the capital side, for Volkswagen, I think the province was going to put in $300 million, the federal government $500 million, but suddenly there were these operating subsidies for 10 years once the plant opened that could, could add up to as much as $13 billion. So no surprise, a few weeks ago, Stellantis said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, we thought we had a deal in good face. If if all of this has changed a little bit, we want a slice of this. So they st- shut down their... Uh, construction to try to get it. Now, here's the problem for the federal government and the province. I don't think they're upset with the idea of trying to match or come close to what Volkswagen had. but let's keep in mind Volkswagen's going to go through the deal in a fine tooth comb. And if Volkswagen thinks Stellantis got something more, they're going to want to increase more. And then you have to wonder about people who when Jerry Diaz was head of Unifor like Ford and uh, General Motors who said, we'll assemble electric vehicles in Canada. And again, all that we kicked in was some capital dollars. Are they going to come to the table? And even a company like DeFasco, where the federal government and the province kicked in some money so they could convert steel making to using electricity uh, as their primary source rather than Coke. Are they going to say, well, wait a minute, if you're going to give them all this money. So here's the question, you know, it, on its own, it's a good deal and it makes sure that Canada has a role and specifically Ontario has a role to play in the electric vehicle industry. That's good and that's the future. but what other doors did it open to and so it's very much high stake poker
0: uh, and and you got and you're right. I mean I'm sure that the, the you know the folks at Volkswagen, Are watching this and they're going to be going over this with a fine tooth comb, as you just mentioned. Uh, Because the story I saw yesterday, I think it was in the Financial Post, is that if you add up the numbers, it looks like the deal that they may be putting in front of Stellantis might be a little more rich than the uh, Volkswagen deal. Uh, So, you know, form would follow function that Volkswagen is going to come back. But how far do you go? When do you say no in a situation like that? Once you're into this, uh, you know, because one of the executives simply said, look, this is the cost of doing business. If you want to get in on this game, uh, you do it now. You don't wait 15, 20 years from now when we're established in another country.
3: Well, I mentioned this high stakes poker. You know, in poker, if you're dealt a really good hand, your your goal is to get as much money out of your playing partners as you can. So uh, on one hand, Stellantis says, you tipped your hand, Canada and the province. You said you want us. Uh, you need us. So, okay, what's it going to take to keep us, you know, if we were a little cager about this, we might've got off a little more cheaply, but yes, I think it is going to be a sweetheart deal. By the way, why it's going to cost a little more is the uh, Stellantis factory is already under construction. Volkswagen is not. So they'll start collecting money before Volkswagen. And again, will that make a difference to the people at Volkswagen? Now, pot's not infinite, Bill. You don't just spend whatever it takes to get in there But when you're competing on a global stage and you want factories in your country rather than in the United States or in Korea or in Mexico or wherever it happens to be, these are the kinds of incentives you've got to be ready to put into play. I think our country is, I think the province is, but we don't want them to give everything away.
0: But one of the reasons both of them said, you know, we we carried the St. Thomas announcement on live when, when they were making that just a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, I guess now. Uh, Was Well, can, Ontario has the resources right here. Yeah, but they're in the ground. Uh, I, I mean, these guys are talking about opening the plants in the next four to five years. I, is it realistic that we can start extracting some of those minerals in time to actually uh, contribute to, to hopefully the growth of this program?
3: No. The short answer to your question <laughs> is no. Uh, if, if, uh, if we don't have a lithium mine in operation at the moment, then it'll never be operational within the next four or five years. Having said that, the other possibility is that we could take ore that's extracted from a mine in Quebec or ore that's extracted from a mine in Saskatchewan and process it in Ontario. That is a much more likely possibility. And I think this is the question for people like Doug Ford, not so much the federal government, but for Doug Ford is, is he prepared to go after a plant that will process somebody else's ore? I know Doug Ford would prefer it be Ontario ore, maybe from that ring of fire up north, but. We've been talking about the ring of fire for 20 years, and they still haven't even built a road to get access to the ring of fire. I just don't see how we can be extracting the minerals from the ground, but we could be refining them. Is Doug Ford prepared to go out and find somebody like that? Don't know yet.
0: Because we've covered that story, and you're right. It's it's at least 20, 25 years. I mean, uh, you know, Bob Ray, of course, the former head of the Liberal Party at one point, uh, but when he was out of politics, was actually the arbitrator in that, trying to get these sides together. And, and there's a... A whole boatload of different issues, aren't there, Marvin? I mean, there's the extraction, there's the cost of the mine, there's all the uh, the, the the protocol that you have to go through to get all the licenses and the and the OKs. But there's also a concern here about Aboriginal rights. A lot of that land uh, is is owned by some of the indigenous groups up there. Uh, this has all the markings of of getting bogged down in the same way that the pipeline debate did out in BC some time ago, and it's still happening, I guess. Right? Uh,
3: no, you're absolutely right, Bill. Uh, the two big concerns I think are environmental. Uh, do we run roughshod over our environmental rules and cut corners on the assessments, what have you, or do it it properly? And then the second part is uh, First Nations groups. They actually don't really get upset as long as they're included in the ownership mix. They they really don't want to get handouts from the government, but they say, look, if you're exploiting resources on our land, we want an ownership stake, and that's got to be negotiated in the deal. Uh, Conceivably, it could happen quickly, but nothing in Canada has ever happened that quickly in the past and therefore I think there's no precedent for that. On the other hand, a a refining operation to take ore mined elsewhere and turn it into lithium hydroxide, which is a key ingredient in making those batteries, that's possible. That ore would be shipped to that plant by train car from other parts of province, uh, uh, whether it's the province of Quebec or the province of Saskatchewan. So, you know, that's possible. But again, Doug Ford should be working on that right now and announcing it now. That plant doesn't get built overnight either.
0: Very quickly. Uh, just as a sidebar issue, but it's something that's on the horizon and we need to talk about. Uh, clearly, the federal government and the provincial government have put all their eggs in the EV basket here. Uh, but we've seen a couple of different stories in the last couple of weeks here, Marvin, about about hydrogen uh, mm-hmm. and some developments that are going on with that. And 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 there are there is this group that is suggesting, look at, don't just do this EV thing, that, that we may have to look at hydrogen as well. And we've talked, you've mentioned this in the past discussions, you know, the, the, the pressure this is going to put on the grid here in Ontario, and, and maybe we should be looking at some ways too. Uh, is is the you know, the government going all in on a technology that may not be the ultimate technology, or are we pretty confident about EV?
3: Well, I, I think I have to come at that in two ways, Bill. In the short term, the EV technology is the most likely that's going to hit the market over the next 10 years. Uh, Hydrogen still remains a fairly experimental technology. If you ask DeFasco, who was going to still have to burn some natural gas to to do this uh, new kind of extraction using um, electricity, uh, many people said, well, why don't you go to hydrogen? And they say, let somebody else go first. We don't want to be on the cutting edge of pushing the boundaries on that and doing all that firsthand research. So I think hydrogen may be something that's more viable in the 20, 25, 30 year technology. Look, if you're in the government, whether you're federal or provincial, you, you you bet on multiple horses in a horse race. You don't put all your eggs in one basket. It seems at the moment they are around EVs and the standard forms of EVs. But I, I think if you are to talk to Minister Champagne, who's the federal minister in this category, he would say we're also looking at hydrogen developments, too.
0: I just don't want to get into like to use this the VCR analogy. Is it going to be beta or is it going to be VHS? Because uh, I I guessed wrong on that, and I think a lot of other people did too. So I hope we don't do it with this stuff too. Anyway, we'll see how this unfolds. Hopefully, in the next couple of days, we'll get some answer about Stellantis. Uh Marvin, thank you so much for this. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again soon. I will. We'll look forward to the party. You betcha, <laughs> Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from nine to noon on nine hundred CHML. The Bill Kelly podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to the Bill Kelly Show weekdays from nine till noon on nine hundred CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free.